0: Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Last week we were talking about how people react to learning the truth. I'm not talking about the truth about mathematics or physics. I'm talking about religious truth, God's truth from his word, that would demand a change in our life. It's very important, as we pointed out, John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin, verse 34, only the truth is going to make us free from sin. False religious teaching won't make us free from sin. So if somebody's teaching to be baptized, you've got to be immersed as a believer. Somebody else is saying, no, sprinkling a baby will suffice. Both of those can't be true. Two plus two cannot equal four and five at the same time. Both of them can't be true, therefore, one of them is not the truth and will not be part of the doctrine, the truth that sets us free from sin. It's so important, then, how we react to the truth. We hear the truth. It may be different from what we believed and practiced in the past. If God's Word actually teaches it, how are we going to react to it? Are we Are just going to get defensive and throw it off, or are we going to accept it? When we were talking about, last week, about three different ways that people react to learning truth. God's truth that demands a change in their life. First, some people get angry. Second, some people do the right thing. They repent and change. Third, some people do nothing. They're just apathetic. We were looking, as we, toward the end of the program last week, about John the Baptist confronting Herod about his marriage to Herodias. Herod, according to secular history, had divorced his wife. Herodias had divorced her husband. Now Herod's married to Herodias. And John confronts him and says, Matthew fourteen four. It is not lawful for thee to have her. Now, the Old Testament was still binding at this time, but I think we can, uh, uh, we can glean from this what a couple who's in an unscriptural marriage. Say, for example, an adulterous marriage, according to Matthew 19, 9, the teaching of Jesus, the New Testament teaching on divorce and remarriage. If they're in that unscriptural marriage, a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19, 9, I think this passage would illustrate for us what God expects us to do. He said it's not lawful for you to have her. Meaning, if he wants to do what's right, if he wants to get forgiveness for this, repent and do what's right and follow the Lord, he's going to have to get out of that marriage. It's not lawful for you to have her. How did Herod and Herodias react? That's what we're talking about tonight. Herodias got so mad, she asked for John the Baptist's head on a charger. His head was cut off. I believe you can read about that in Mark 6, verse 27. John the Baptist had enough courage to confront people in unscriptural marriages, tell them it's not lawful for you to have her, (laughs) and he lost his life. Most preachers today won't say anything about People who are in second or third marriages that are adulterous, according to Matthew nineteen nine, they won't say, any, say anything because they're afraid of losing a few members or losing some contribution. Think of the difference in the courage of John the Baptist and most preachers today. But we learn from this story how not to react to the truth. Here's John the Baptist telling Herod, "If you want to be what, do what's right. The truth demands that you leave that marriage." that you get out of that unscriptural marriage. How did Herod and Herodias react? They shot the messenger. That's our expression for that. They had John the Baptist killed, his head cut off. That's a good example about how not to react to the truth, to God's truth that demands a change in your life. We see a similar thing going on in Acts chapter 7. And oh, by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, The lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching to some Jews. Let me begin in verse 51. He says, this is toward the end of the sermon. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which they have slain. And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Stephen does in this sermon the exact same thing we see Peter doing in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. Preaching to a a Jewish audience and saying, remember Jesus Christ? That guy you crucified, he's the son of God. I can't think of a worse sin than killing the son of God. And that's what Stephen is accusing these people of, these Jews of, the just one of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers. Verse 53, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So they're cut to the heart. I take it it mean their conscience is pricked. They're feeling guilty for what they're done. Sometimes when people feel guilty for what they've done, they repent, but not these people. They felt guilty for what they had done, so they did exactly what Herodias did. They shot the messenger. Let me keep reading in verse 55 and following. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen preached the truth to these Jews. Didn't just preach the truth, he preached the truth that they needed. The thing that they needed most. The thing that was going to cause them to be lost. He could have preached the truth, a number of truths that wouldn't have bothered him. He could have said he could have preached the truth that Moses was a loyal follower of God during the the days of the previous dispensation. He could have preached the truth that there's one God. He could have preached all kinds of truths, religious truths from the Bible, from the Old Testament, for example, that would not have offended these people. But he didn't choose just to preach to the choir. He told them exactly what they needed to hear. You murdered the son of God. They got mad and they stoned him. Do we have people with that kind of courage today that will get up into the pulpit and preach to the audience before them what they need to hear? Not truths they already agree with, but truths that will demand a change in their life. Who has that courage? Stephen had the courage and they stoned him. That's a good example of how not to react to the truth. When you hear a truth from God's word that demands a change in your life, don't get mad. Don't blame the messenger. It's not his fault if he's given you the truth from the Bible. That's God's word. Don't get defensive about it. Obey the truth. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. I'm sure today that people, if Stephen were to do something like this today, they would say, oh, he's a hobby writer. Ha, he's preaching something that they're wrong about. Therefore, they call him a hobby writer to try to throw it off. Boy, was he writing a hobby. You murdered the son of God, and I'm going to ride that because that's what you need to hear. I'm warning you. You're going to be lost if you don't repent of this. They didn't repent. They understood what he's saying. They felt guilty. They were cut to the heart. But they shot the messenger. These are examples of how not to react to the truth. Don't get mad and blame the messenger. Let's talk about the other side of the coin. People who reacted to the truth in the correct way. We have, like I said, a similar sermon to this in Acts 2. Similar in the sense that it's Peter preaching and he preaches to these Jews that that man you crucified, he's the son of God. Let me pick up in Acts 2 verse 36. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both the Lord and Christ. There's all kinds of truths out there that Peter could have preached to these Jews that they would have agreed with. Probably a hundred, actually probably a thousand different truths they would have agreed with. But he preached the truth that they needed. Remember that man you crucified? That's the Lord in Christ. Because that's what they needed to hear to be saved. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I think that's the same in the Greek is what we see the audience doing in Acts 7 with Stephen. It says they were cut to the heart, pricked in the heart. It's the same thing. I think they're feeling guilty. With Stephen, they felt guilty and shot the messenger, stoned him. Here they feel guilty and they say to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, they're reacting to truth in the right way. Instead of getting defensive, instead of getting mad at the one who gave them the truth, they say, what can we do to make it right? What can we do to be forgiven for this sin that we've committed? They've been exposed to the truth. It demands a change in their life, and they're ready to make the change. Then Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had crucified the Son of God. They—they they, Peter told them that, accused them of that. They believed it. In other words, they're believers at this point, believers in Christ. Peter didn't say, okay, you're saved. You're a believer in Christ. That's all you have to do to be saved. No, he didn't say that. He told these believers in Christ, you got to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. How did they react? Verse 41, then they that like, gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people heard a truth that would demand a change in their life. They had committed perhaps the worst sin in the history of the world, perhaps, I would say certainly, killing the Son of God. They needed to know that. Peter told them that, and they repented, repented and were baptized and were forgiven of their sins. 3,000 souls. Now, that's the way to react to truth that demands a change in your life. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Perhaps you've been listening to this radio program. Once, twice, or one, or two years, or whatever. And you've heard truth that would demand a change in your life. If it's the truth, if I'm proving it by the Bible, God's word is right. Pat's not necessarily right, but if I prove it by the Bible, then it's God's truth. You need to make a change. Don't get mad at Pat. Make a change if the truth that's being preached demands a change in your life. Another good example of this is the story of Apollos in Acts 18. At the end of Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24, we read this. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded in him the way of God more perfectly." Here's Apollos. He's an eloquent man, a good speaker. He's trying to preach God's word the best he knows how. It says he's mighty in the scriptures. And you should be mighty in the scriptures if you're going to try to preach God's word. He says in verse 25, he's instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, very zealous, taught diligently the things of the Lord. Man, that's a lot of compliments. Then there's one caveat, verse 25, knowing only the baptism of John. He was preaching with all the fervor he could, with all the knowledge that he had, but he was lacking in knowledge. And Aquila and Priscilla took him aside, taught him the way of God more perfectly. He could have gotten defensive. He could have said, Hey, I'm a great preacher. Who are you to tell me that I need to to, to try to correct me? That's not what Apollos did. He made the change that Aquila and Priscilla told him about. He started preaching the truth in its complete form. Verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Apollos, we might say he's a great preacher, but Didn't know the complete truth. As soon as he learned the truth that demanded a change in his life, he changed, he repented, and started preaching the whole truth. That's the proper way to react to the truth. Now, if we keep reading, starting in the next chapter, Acts 19, we're going to see some people that may have been taught by Apollos. I say that because they believe the same thing as what Apollos was teaching before he changed, and they had... They were in Ephesus where Apollos was teaching. So it's possible these people in Acts 19 had been taught by Apollos, and that's why they didn't have the complete truth. Let me begin reading Acts 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, these people had been immersed as believers, but based upon an obsolete belief, based upon an obsolete belief. They had been baptized based upon the belief the Messiah was coming. But now that Jesus has come, died, and been been resurrected, it's not good enough to be baptized just based upon a belief that the Messiah is coming. No, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, "...that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." And with a heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth, confession is made in salvation. Now that Jesus has been died and resurrected, you have to believe not just the, that the Messiah is coming, but that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for our sins, and that he was resurrected from the dead. You have to believe that to be saved. You have to believe that to be baptized scripturally. They have been baptized based upon this obsolete belief, and therefore their baptism was not scriptural. Uh, they had been baptized as believers, but their baptism was not scriptural. They were willing to be baptized again. They didn't get defensive and say, Paul, we've already been baptized. We don't have to be baptized again. We refuse to do that. I think there's a lesson in there for us. Suppose we've been baptized, even immersed as believers, but we didn't do it for the reasons specified in Acts 2.38, be baptized for the remission of sins then we need to think about that. We, weren't, we were baptized based upon the wrong belief, just like these folks in Acts 19. We need to be baptized again, this time immersed as a believer for the remission of sins in order to be saved for that purpose. Let's don't get defensive about it. Let's don't shoot the messenger. Let's be willing to change. When we hear the truth that demands a change in our life, let's make that change. Haven't we learned that's the proper way to react to the truth based upon these three examples we've just been through in Acts 2, Acts 18, and Acts 19? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Now, that brings us to the third category. Some people, when they hear the truth that demands a change in their life, they get mad. Some people do what they ought to do and change, repent and change and conform to the truth. Start believing and practicing the truth that they've learned. That's the right way. Some do neither. They don't get mad, but neither do they obey the gospel. They're just, we might say, apathetic. Felix is a good example of that. I'm reading Acts 24, 24 and 25. It says, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish... He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned out of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. We know that Felix believed what Paul was saying. I mean, if Paul's preaching about the judgment day, Felix trembled. He should. If you know what's going to happen on the judgment day and you're not right with God, you should tremble. You should be scared about where you're going to go on the judgment day if you're not right with God. Felix trembled, but he didn't repent and change. He didn't obey the gospel. He didn't become a Christian. He put it off. You might say he procrastinated. He didn't get mad at Paul and maybe have Paul stoned or anything, but also he didn't obey the gospel. He didn't do what he should do. He did nothing. I'm convinced that's what most people do today. When we preach the truth from God's word, we prove it conclusively from God's word. It's different than what people believe before. It demands a change in their belief and practice. They don't necessarily get mad, but they don't obey the gospel either. Instead, they just do nothing and hold on to the beliefs of their par- of their parents or whatever. They're not willing to make the change that the truth, God's Word, would demand in their life. Jose from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: No, I was just asking today, man. Um, like, you know, I'm trying, I'm new to the Word, and I'm trying to understand everything about it, you know. And, you know, there's like I went this weekend, I went last weekend, and, you know, we spend the first 30, 45 minutes of it where we're singing, where they're singing, you know, and I don't have a problem with it, but then at the same time, you know, that I feel like they spend a little time of speaking on it. And then I look up, you know, why, you know, and I wrote my questions down today, like, you know, I asked myself today, is like, um, you know, why does there have to be so much of it, you know? And then it says that it, what I asked is why is singing so important in church? And it says because God commands it, and speaking isn't enough or thinking it. But And then I asked myself this. I said, but what if I interpret it better by speaking it and hearing it and hearing the stories and the parables and everything that comes out of it? And then I asked myself again. So here's Ephesians
0: 5.19, for example, Jose. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I may have the number wrong, but I think there are nine places in the New Testament that talk about singing. So that's one of the ways we praise God, we sing. We sing together. We, in while we're singing, Jose, we're teaching one another. But we're all. But that's not the point. Is we're praising God. We're worshiping God. That should go along in the service with a Bible lesson. In Acts two forty two says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. So so church services should be filled with half singing in them. They also have should have the apostles' doctrine teaching. Fellowship, which is probably referring to the contribution in Acts 2.42. The breaking of bread, which will be the Lord's Supper and prayers. All of these things. Jose, how about if I try to call you back later, maybe we can set up a Bible study. We can talk about these things more in detail. A phone Bible study sometime. Would that be okay, Jose?
1: No, that'll be good. I also have my, you know, she's my partner right now in life. But, you know, I hope to, I want to marry her, you know. okay. She's she's more strong in the faith than I am. Let's put it that way. So, you yeah, know, we can talk and, uh, about
0: all kinds of Bible topics, including marriage and divorce and, then, and things like that, and, and singing well, she, and all kinds it, of things.
1: It's just she got she just she got a little upset with me today because I questioned it two weeks in a row. She I questioned like, why is there so much of this and there's not enough of this?
0: And, Jose, we'll we'll talk about that when we study. I'm gonna let you go right now, uh, but thank you for your call and I'll call you later. Okay. Uh, it sounds good. Thank you for the good call, Jose. Bye. So let's talk about another example of somebody who who was taught the truth that demanded a change in their life. They didn't get mad, but neither did they conform to that truth. They just did nothing. This is King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 27 and 28. It says, Paul speaking here said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Jose was talking about singing. In church today, we sang a song, almost persuaded, that I'm 99.9% sure comes from this verse. Here's Agrippa. Paul says, I know that you believe. So he believes the prophets, evidently what the prophets have to say about the Messiah. But King Agrippa, though he believes, he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't get mad at Paul. He doesn't have him stoned or killed or anything. He just procrastinates. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He does nothing. So he doesn't get mad, but neither does he obey the gospel. He's just apathetic. He does nothing. I'm convinced that's what most people do when they hear a truth from God's word that demands a change in their life. They just do nothing. They just do nothing. Let's don't react that way. Let's act like the people did in Acts 2, Apollos did in Acts 18, the Ephesians did in Acts 19. Let's, when we hear a truth from God's word that demands a change in our life, let's make the change. Let's conform to that change. Let's start living and believing and practicing the way God said. Now, why is it that some people don't change, don't repent when they hear a truth that uh, demands a change in their life? Well, let's talk about that next time. I've only got less than a minute, so let me not go into that. But next time, we'll talk about some reasons why, even religious people, when they hear the truth in the Bible that's different than what they have believed in the past, but it's proven conclusively, why they don't make the change. So We're talking about truth that demands a change in their life. We're going to have to go off the air in about a half a minute. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, I want you to give me a call or text me at 256-682-9753. Also, perhaps, you question something I've taught on this program. I'm willing to publicly defend what I teach on this program. I believe it can be successfully defended. You call or text me. Maybe we can arrange a debate. 256-682-9753. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study,